0: You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation in your Bibles. We're going to finish up here in chapter 6. Before we get there, just as a review... Revelation chapter 1, you remember what Revelation chapter 1 is all about? It's about John on the Isle of Patmos and he gets a vision of Jesus. But this vision of Jesus is not like anything John had ever seen before. And John, he walked with Jesus. He was one of the disciples. And so if anybody knew Jesus, it was John the Beloved, John the, the Apostle. But John saw Jesus in all of his glory. And he said, when I saw Jesus, I fell down uh, at his feet as though I were dead. He was overwhelmed with the, the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Christ. Then we get to chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we see the letters to those seven churches. And what a powerful reminder. Even uh, Sunday night, Pastor Zavatsky preached a great message from Revelation chapter 2 about the dangers of a good church, and that was a powerful message. We get to chapter four and we see the rapture. The church is taken up. John said, I I, I heard a a voice as a trumpet saying, come up hither. And then we see the scene in heaven where uh, the the angels are worshiping day and night. And we, we cast our crowns before the Lord and we say, thou art worthy, O Lord. Chapter five, the Bible says that John was in heaven and he saw a vision and there was a dilemma. The dilemma was that there was no one that was worthy to take the book and open the seals. You remember that, Revelation 5? But praise God, there was one worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. And Jesus Christ took that, that scroll, that book, and he had the power to open up those seals, and those seals were the seals of judgment. We saw last uh, two weeks ago in Revelation chapter 6. We saw the seals, the first four seals were the horses and the riders on those horses. And then we saw the fifth seal, uh, verse number nine. And then we saw the sixth seal uh, in verse number 12. And let's pick up right there in verse 12 of Revelation chapter six. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll. And when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth... And the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man, they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight and help us not to miss what you have for us in your word. I thank you for the Bible, and I thank you for the fact that it is true. It is everlasting. I thank you that it has been preserved for us from uh, for every generation. I thank you that it is eternal and uh, that this book uh, is a book upon which we can build our lives and we can uh, establish our direction and our philosophy for life. Help us tonight uh, to have ears that are open and and, and eyes that are open and hearts that are tender and receptive to the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We saw two weeks ago in Revelation chapter six, the opening of the seals. And in this chapter, we see the opening of the first six seals. The seventh seal will not be uh, uh, revealed until we get to Revelation chapter eight. And we'll get there here in a few weeks. Uh, Lord willing, but I wanted you to notice with me the sixth seal in um, Revelation chapter six, found in verse number twelve we just read the sixth seal, the Bible says there will be a great earthquake. Now, I asked this two weeks ago, and i don 't think there were very many that had been in an earthquake. How many of you have ever been in an earthquake that you felt? Anybody like that? there's a few okay so we 're talking about that 's a scary thing this passage describes it as a great earthquake. The the most powerful earthquake on record happened in 1960 down in South America in the country of Chile. That earthquake measured on the Richter scale at 9.5. That is a powerful earthquake. Uh, There have only been a few earthquakes in history recorded over nine. That was 9.5 on the Richter scale. There were 1,600 that were killed. There were 3,000 that were injured. There were uh, over uh, 2 million people that were displaced. Can I tell you that earthquake, that was nothing compared to the earthquake that will happen during the tribulation. Here's how we know that. The Bible says when that earthquake takes place, it says that the stars of heaven will fall. There is going to be a meteor shower like this world has never seen the Bible says that every mountain and every island on earth is going to be moved out of place now that's a powerful earthquake if you can feel that earthquake around the entire world that is a powerful earthquake it's going to be so severe that literally men kings Captains, rulers, rich, poor, doesn't matter who you are, men will literally be hiding in the rocks and hiding in the caves and they will be so terrified because they know what this earthquake is all about. This is the wrath of God. This is the judgment of God being poured out. These people will literally cry out and beg the rocks to fall down and to hide them from the wrath of God. And I tell you, that's pretty serious business right there. To think that they would literally cry out for the rocks, please, please, would you just fall on us so that we don't have to face the wrath of an angry God. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? The answer to that question is nobody's gonna be able to stand uh, uh, up to or to face a God who is filled with wrath. Nobody can do that except for one. And that one has already done it. That one is God's only begotten son, Jesus, that came to this earth and on Calvary, on the cross, he experienced the wrath of God for us so that we would not have to. How many of you are glad that Jesus took our place? Aren't you glad that Jesus faced the wrath of God? Jesus faced the judgment of God for us so that we would never have to face it. I think it's interesting in verse number uh, 15, it says that they hid themselves. Verse 16, these men, they, they they said to the rocks, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. The Bible tells us that we should not hide ourselves from the face of God. The Bible tells us as believers, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to seek his face. And that's what we ought to do every day. Every day we ought to say, "Lord, I need you. I need to know what you have for me. God, I need your help. God, I need your direction." First Chronicles 16. The Bible says, "We should seek God's face continually." You know what that means? You wake up tomorrow morning and you say, God, I need to hear from you today. And you wake up the next morning and say, God, I need to hear from you. And all throughout the day, God, I need to know what what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? God, I need you today. Seek his face. Second Chronicles tells us the recipe for revival is that if God's people would humble ourselves and pray and what? Seek his face. And that if we would uh, seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then God said he'll hear from heaven, he'll forgive our sin, and we'll heal our land. Psalm 24, this is the generation of them that seek him, them that seek thy face. Psalm 105, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face evermore. We see the Bible tells us we're not supposed to hide ourselves from the face of God, we ought to seek his face. But here's how it works. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. You know why these people are having to hide themselves from the face of God? Because while they had opportunity, they did not seek God. And there will come a day, just as it was in the days of Noah, the door of the ark was opened. Anybody could not have, have gotten on that ark. But once that door was closed, it was too late. And God's mercy is everlasting. And God's mercy is extended to every person. And God gives us chance after chance after chance. But there will come a day when it will be too late. It will, there will come a day when you will say no to God for the last time. And there won't be another opportunity. I'm thankful that God has allowed us to be able to seek his face now. And I hope you seek God's face every day. I'm not talking about just salvation. That's a one-time decision. But then every day you walk with God. Uh, My wife and I got married almost 21 years ago and uh, we exchanged vows and we got married on that day. But can I tell you, since then every day we have tried to stay in fellowship. Every day we've tried to stay in communication. And you know, you got saved and you became God's child. You got born again. But every day, there ought to be a relationship with God. Every day, you ought to seek his face. Every day, you get in the word of God and you you pray and you walk with God and you seek his face. Revelation tells us the day's coming when men are going to hide themselves from the face of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. We see in this passage, the heavens are rolled together as a scroll, and the kings and the the great men, the rich men, they cry out because of the judgment of God. You say, well, pastor, what about us? Where are we in all of this? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we're already out of here because God has delivered us from the wrath to come, and the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that good to know as you study the tribulation to know that if you are a child of God, you will not go through one hour of the tribulation You won't go through one second of the tribulation because God has rescued you. God has delivered you from the wrath to come. Notice with me, if you would, in uh, Revelation chapter 7. It says, after these things, so we've seen six seal judgments. But then it says in Revelation 7, verse 1, after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. You've heard the expression before. I assume you have. I know I've, I've heard it and I've said it many times. The calm before the what? The storm. Can you imagine what it's going to be like on earth that day? When God has the angels on the four corners of the the earth all holding back the wind and the wind is not blowing anywhere. It's as still as can be. But guess what? Those winds are about to be unleashed And, and the forces of nature and the power of God is going to be unleashed upon this world. This verse right here, Revelation 7 verse 1, is a great reminder to us that God is in control of the weather. Not only is God in control of the weather, um, we're not in control of it. We can't even predict it. Isn't that amazing? Now, again, if you have a a family member that's a meteorologist, please don't tell them that I said this about him. But that's got to be the easiest job in the whole world. Because it doesn't matter if you're right or not. You get to keep your job the next day. And if you're not sure what to say, you just say partly cloudy or chance of rain, right? I mean, that's all you have to do. How many of you like a job like that? I tell you, I'd kind of like a job like that. If I get up and if I say something that's not true, you're going to boot me out of here for heresy, you know. But if I'm a weatherman, it's like, well, you know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. We can't control the weather. We can't even forecast the weather, but God is in control of all of that. You say, well, you know, today I had plans and I, uh, I, needed, I, I needed to have a dry, sunny day. Well, nothing you can do about that. It rained this morning whether you wanted it to or not. You got wet this morning whether you wanted to or not. You can't control it. I can't control it. But God is the one that's in control of the weather. But then we see in verse number two, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now that's interesting. So in in chapter 6, we saw the seal judgments. Now we see that God is bringing his seal, his stamp, and he is putting his stamp on the forehead of his servants. You say, why is God doing that? Because that is their protection. Just like we'll see... In a later chapter, we'll see that those that uh, that are not uh, those that follow uh, uh, Satan, they'll receive the mark of the beast. But God's servants receive in their foreheads the seal of almighty God. I love this because you don't have anything on your forehead right now that I can see. I don't see anybody that's got, you know, permanent marker written on your forehead that says I'm a Christian or I'm saved. But I want to tell you this. God knows his children God knows who you are. God knows where you are. God's gonna take care of you. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. Uh, The foundation of the Lord standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Aren't you glad God knows his children? God never gets them mixed up. God never looks and says, oh, I forgot about Chuck. Oh man, I wonder what Chuck's been doing this last week. Oh, and then Chad, I forgot about Chad. Oh, God's never done that. He knows his children. He takes care of his children. He's got you sealed. You are okay because God has you under his care. During the tribulation, God will seal his servants on their foreheads. And it says in verse number four, here are the servants. It says, I heard the number of them which were sealed and there were sealed 144,000." An 140 and, and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Every tribe, 12 tribes, had 12,000 that were sealed by God. And these 144,000, these are not to be confused with Jehovah's Witnesses, because these are 144,000 Jews from the tribes of Israel that get saved during the tribulation. And God makes them his witnesses to preach the gospel during the tribulation. Now, here's what's so awesome. Did you know that there will be people saved during the tribulation? Now, not anybody that's already rejected Christ because they will uh, be sent a strong delusion, they'll believe a lie. But there will be many people during the tribulation, they never heard the gospel. They never had a preacher. They never had a soul winner. They never had a missionary that told them. And there will be thousands and thousands, countless souls will be saved during the tribulation because of these 144,000 witnesses. The Bible says these witnesses are sealed. They're protected. God's got his hand on them. The, 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 the judgment and the tribulation will not be able to kill these witnesses until God says it's time. Notice verse number nine. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever, amen. Notice verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And John says, I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. John said, I don't know, why don't you tell me? I hope you know, because I don't know. Have you ever asked somebody a question or ever asked me a question? You knew they didn't know the answer, but you just wanted them to realize they didn't know the answer. That's what this uh, this is happening to John here in heaven. And he says, you know, and he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, hang on. These are not the hundred and forty four thousand witnesses. Here's how we know that. Because the Bible says that these are people of all nations, not just Jews. All nations and all kindreds and all tribes and all tongues. These are Gentiles that have been saved during the tribulation, but they have been killed. They have been martyred. And so they are in heaven. They are worshiping uh, around the throne of God. They're worshiping the Lamb. And they are there in heaven, a great multitude, which no man could number. You say, well, that must be a pretty big number. Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty big number. I don't know how high you can count. But I mean, if I had a pen and paper, I mean, or if I had a, a clicker or something, I mean, I could count pretty high, but no, no, no man can number. But these are those who have been saved, a great multitude, this is not the 144,000. These are not the Old Testament saints or the New Testament Christians. But it says in verse number 13 that these are they that came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are Gentiles that have been saved. How were they saved? Well, verse 14 tells us they got saved the same way you and I got saved. By the blood of of the Lamb. Isn't that wonderful that salvation is always by one way? It is not by works. It's not by church membership. These, these guys didn't get baptized. They got saved by the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. These, this multitude are there in heaven. They've come out of the tribulation. And then verse number 15, Therefore, Are they before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in the temple? He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes." Here's what's interesting. Here are some Christians. Here are some saved people. They got saved during the tribulation. They're in heaven and the Bible shows us what they're doing in heaven. Have you ever wondered what we will do in heaven? Can I tell you, it's going to be an amazing place. The Bible says that our eye has not seen, our ear has not heard. It's not even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. You know what that means? It's better than you could ever imagine. You you take your best dream, you take your best imagination, and it's better than that. That's what heaven's gonna be like. But the Bible tells us that while they are in heaven, there are some things they're doing. I wanna give those to you quickly because that's what we are gonna be doing in heaven also. Are you ready? Number one, they're talking about salvation. You know what we're gonna do for all of eternity? We're going to be talking about the day we got saved. We're going to be talking about how good God was to save us. We're going to be praising God for the fact that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. We're going to be going around and I don't know if we'll be hugging Jesus or I don't know if we'll be shaking his hand. I don't know if we'll be high-fiving. I don't know what we're going to be doing. But for all of eternity, we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. For all of eternity, we're going to be and I know we're going to have our glorified bodies. So I don't know if we're going to be able to be pinched, you know, and and feel that. But all of eternity, I think we're going to be saying, I can't believe we're even here. I can't believe that God would love us so much that he would save us. I can't believe that we're in heaven. We're walking on streets of gold. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more funerals. There's no more hospitals. There's no more nursing homes. There's no more rehab. There's no more dialysis. There's no more chemo. There's none of that. I think for all of eternity, we're going to be rejoicing in the fact. That were saved. Notice with me, if you would, in this passage, verse number ten, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, "Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb." Verse eleven. You know what we find next? Not only are we talking about salvation, but we're going to be number two. We're going to be singing. We're going to be praising God. The Bible says that they praised him and they worshipped God for who He is. It's interesting that these uh, saved uh, people that came out of the tribulation, they start praising God. And then verse 11, the angels start praising God. Did you know that praise is contagious? It's more contagious than a cold. It's more contagious than COVID and every strain you've ever heard of. Praise is contagious. That's why it's a good thing to praise God. That's why when you start praising God, you'll find that people around you will start praising God. Uh, You start talking about how good God is, everybody else will start doing it too. It's contagious. And in heaven, we will be singing and praising God. The Bible says that their robes were white, indicating that they had been victorious The Bible says that God's gonna wipe away all tears from their eyes. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day when we're singing in heaven and praising God. Number three, what else are we gonna do in heaven? We're gonna serve. The Bible says in verse number 15, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now, hang on. When we think about serving, sometimes we think about, oh, that's a lot of work. Oh, I'm tired. I just need a break. But in heaven, you're not going to get tired. In heaven, you're not going to be worn out. Isn't that going to be nice? In heaven, you're not even going to need caffeine. You're not even going to need coffee. Now, I think there's going to be coffee in heaven. But it's not because you need it. I think it's just going to be because you enjoy it. But when you're in heaven, when I'm in heaven, we're going to be serving God and we're going to be serving God day and night. I'll tell you more about it um, Sunday night. I'll tell you more about it. But I attended a funeral service this past week for a man that served God faithfully. And one of the preachers at that funeral service, he said this, he said, our brother who was in that, casket. He wasn't in the casket. His body was there, but he was in heaven. But he said, our brother was serving God on this earth and he's serving God now. He said, but he has just been called to a higher service. And you know what we're going to do in heaven? We're still going to be serving God. You say, well, I don't know. I don't That's That's kind of sounds kind of boring. Are you kidding me? We don't have to serve God. We get to serve God. It's a privilege. And I hope if you've never experienced the joy of serving God, you have missed out because I want to tell you, serving God is a privilege. Serving God is the greatest opportunity that mankind could have to be able to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You serve a boss, you serve a company. If you work for the United States government, you serve a a president or a a congressman or a senator or a governor or or, or a representative, you serve somebody, but we get to serve the Lord. What a privilege it is down here, but what a privilege it's going to be for all of eternity to serve day and night before the throne of God. Number four, I see what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to spend time with God. The Bible says in verse 15, therefore are they before the throne of God, they serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne. Who's sitting on the throne? God's on the throne. He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Did you know when we get to heaven, it's not gonna be every once in a while we get to approach the throne of God and we get to get close to God. Oh no, he's gonna dwell among us. We're going to get to spend time with our Creator. We're going to get to spend time with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? We'll get to spend time with Him. Number five, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to experience satisfaction. The Bible says that in heaven, verse number 16, there will be no more hunger. You say, oh, pastor, does that mean we're not going to eat in heaven? No, that's not what it means. It just means you're not going to have to eat because you're hungry. There's going to be a, how many of you know there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb? You know why you're eating that marriage supper? Not to stay alive. You're eating that marriage supper because it's going to be the best food you've ever had in your life. Some of us like to eat down here. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when you don't have to worry about calories? And sugar, and you can eat whatever you want, and you're not gonna get sick, and you're not gonna gain weight, and it's not gonna affect your blood sugar. Can you imagine that? There will be satisfaction, no hunger. There'll be no more thirst. When we get to heaven, we will be satisfied. And then lastly, there will be in heaven, there will be solace. Solace is comfort and peace. And the Bible says in verse number 17, also it's found in Revelation 21, but it says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Isn't that going to be wonderful in heaven? To know that when God comes by and he wipes those tears out of your eyes, those are the last tears you will ever shed. For all of eternity, there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. Uh, There will be no more grieving. There will be no more broken hearts. Won't that be wonderful in heaven? That's what we're going to experience. That's what we're going to do in heaven. I don't know about you, but heaven sounding sweeter all the time. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org.